Joining me today are leaders from the big four for a deep dive on industry's changing landscape and also where do we go from here after such an unprecedented first half of 2020. We have Deborah Byers, America Industry Leader for EY, Regina Mayer, Global and U.S. Head of Energy at KPMG, Ilufar Malavi, Global Energy Leader at PwC, and Katie Pavlovsky, Global U.S. Energy Leader at Deloitte. Thank you all for taking part of this panel and what I expect to be a dynamic conversation. To get us started though, let's take a look at what are some of the biggest hurdles you've seen clients face as they deal with the downturn and begin their recovery. Um, Deborah, maybe you can start us off with what you've seen. Uh, should, should they make incremental changes or rip up everything and recreate their company strategy? Well, I, first of all, I, thanks for having me here. And it's great to see all these powerful women on this panel. So I, I'm really excited to, to have this conversation. You know, it's really hard to say what is the biggest challenge because the challenges have been just tremendous. I mean, this is completely unprecedented, as you said. Um, we're already dealing with so much uncertainty, whether it's geopolitical uncertainty, whether it's uncertainty about how, when and, when and if supply and demand dynamics would come together. And then you layer on the pandemic and it just really sort of is like throwing up, you know, the Legos and getting them all to fall down and say, how are you going to look at where the recovery is going to be and the recovery curve for the economy is, is driven by a lot of different things that people aren't used to modeling. Like what is the pandemic progression? What's, when's the vaccine going to become available? How are you going to scale the distribution of that? What are the policies going to be in terms of, you know, more, more shutdown? Are they going to gradually open up? So you really are faced with so many different challenges to try and say, I'm going to reset my strategy right now is just near impossible. So it's a little bit of a wait and see. And I think waiting and, and seeing how this turns out and then looking at the different scenarios is probably very, very difficult. So I would say the biggest challenge is sitting on your hands, watching for where the signals are going to take the economy, when the recovery will really take shape, and then you know being ready to pull the trigger on uh, the right strategy for your company. Thank you, Deborah. Was, did anybody have anything to add to that conversation or topic? What are you, what are you telling your clients? I, I agree. Oh, go ahead. The only thing I would add here is that there are lots of good things that companies have been working on for a long time that will still be very relevant going forward, um, post-pandemic and certainly post what the industry is going through. So. Again, the strategy of starting completely from scratch probably doesn't make sense for anyone, but everybody has had to pivot their strategy, some for the short term, and some are really already focused on what are some of the things that they know they need to do for the long term and, and, and getting a head start on. I'd, I'd agree with both uh, both Deborah and uh, Nilafar in this. You know, Deloitte is calling this the, the Great Compression, and what it recognizes is the dynamic that, in addition to low commodity prices, we're seeing reduced demand challenges unlike ever before, the capital constraints, the debt load, there's the COVID, and then on top of that, hurricane season. And so you know, certainly dynamics that have been very different this cycle than others, and I think resulting in a breadth of impact. So historically, you see the upstream or the oil and oil field services companies really suffer, and I think because of the dynamics I described, we're also now seeing midstream and downstream 
impacted in a big way. And so, you know, we saw a lot of ingenuity in the 2014 to 2016 downturn and a lot of that driven by the technology capabilities. And so as companies are very much preserving their capital and um, reducing cost and, and, you know, kind of maximizing their cash flow, I think the opportunity will be just being very cognizant of the choices that they're making um, and recognizing the longer term impacts and, and, and not losing sight of the growth opportunity that can come through technology. Okay. Um, maybe moving on to the next one, commodity prices appear to be at levels that will break many small and mid-sized companies carrying substantial leverage. Some have speculated that distress and consolidation will transform the industry into about 10 to 15 companies um, Regina, maybe you can share your view. Will the industry shrink that radically and does it need to? I don't think it will shrink that radically and going down to 10 or 15 companies I don't think is good for the long-term success of, of the industry. Just as Katie just pointed out, we need innovation. We need to partner differently. And as we continue to provide the fossil fuels that are required to power our economies and to, to enable us to even work like this, we also have to pivot into the energy transition. So I don't think 10 or 15 companies are gonna be able to drive that kind of revolution. Uh, back to the earlier question too, I mean, I do think at what everyone said before was totally accurate, but I also think this is an opportunity to transform and to think radically differently. You know, there is that phrase, never waste a good crisis. And given that this is an absolutely unprecedented time, I think the successful companies are going to completely redefine themselves and what is their role going to be in the energy transition recognizing the word transition is really important because we can't get there overnight even though there are stakeholders out there that believe we should and how do you maintain a low carbon footprint on a fossil fuel base that's still the large driver of our energy demand while we find those next carbon less carbon intensive or even carbon free sources of energy so you know, I think if we said it was going to shrink down to 10 or 15 companies, it's just talking about perhaps this base and, and thinking that maybe things are static. And that doesn't recognize really the evolutionary and revolutionary phase that our, our industry is in. Thanks, Regina, for that. Um, maybe um, on the topic of consolidation, though, I mean, that has been talked about so much. Um, the past couple of years that there was a need for consolidation, maybe not down to 15, 10 to 15 companies. Um, the ND market so far, though, this year has been relatively quiet. There has been a couple of um, mergers. The biggest of is Chevron's announcement in July of the buyout of independent EMP company, Noble Energy. Do you see, do you see the Chevron Noble deal as a precursor for further consolidation executed by the super majors in particular? Um, Nilofar, um, could you maybe talk on that a little bit for us? Sure, and I think everybody anticipated we're going to have a lot of transactions in, in this particular sector. Um, and you're right, it has been relatively slow. Although there have been a lot of transactions, they're just not the big transactions that everybody pays attention to, um, like the one you mentioned between Chevron and Noble. We are, I think, going to continue to see a lot of those smaller transactions, a lot of asset transactions. There, there's going to have to be some natural consolidation. So I agree that, you know, with, with Regina in terms of we're not going to go down to 10 or 15 companies, 
but in some of the subsectors, when you look at oil field services and get even, you know, more focused on offshore drillers or drilling companies in general, there were lots of new small players um, that are just not going to be viable going forward. So you're going to see some natural consolidation in some of the subsectors, probably needed and necessary for everyone to do that, to drive the innovation, to drive to, to what everybody's trying to get to in terms of net zero and the next generation, to, to have the ability and capability to invest in the capital needed to do the R&D um, and so on and so forth. So I think we're going to see probably smaller transactions here, um, at least for the you know next few months um, and, and maybe after that, could there be some larger transactions? Of course, there could always be that, but I think we need to expect there's a lot of activity in the market that maybe is not getting picked up because it's not you know, from the super majors or the large transactions we've seen before. Thanks for that. Um, I didn't know if anybody else had anything to add on about their M&A outlook or A&D outlook from their firms. I don't know. Did anybody want to take a jab at that? I mean, when you talked about um, are it, will there be radical, you know, changes in the number of companies? You know, everyone tends to focus on the upstream. We're already down to a handful of very large oilfield service companies, and and today I think there was some movement in in the oilfield service sector, especially in North America and pressure pumping, where there the stress has been the greatest. So there's going to be a lot of compression there, and I could see only a handful of companies surviving in. In that part of the value chain. Um, but in terms of the up, upstream, you're talking the Petchem side, and, and we always forget the national oil companies. I mean, there is just, they are, they, you know, they're gonna dominate probably because they own the, 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 the greatest proportion of the resource base. And, and to Regina's point earlier, this is a transition. Um, now, we can all debate whether that's 20 years, 40 years, 50 years. And there's a lot in between there and how fast it's going to happen. But um, I, I do think that there will be more transactions. I think asset transactions will dominate. We clearly see that. Um, we talked about this in 2014. I mean, all of you who are, who are on this panel remember 2014 said, okay, this is when everything's going to consolidate. The debt overhang, you know, stopped a lot of that. And unfortunately, you never got rid of that. And so we're still left with that debt overhang. And I think maybe this time uh, with the current round of restructuring, you will, you will cleanse that debt overhang, and then you're gonna have a lot of uh, shareholders that want to exit, and that IPO exit may not be there. And so that may drive finally the convergence of buyer and seller and, and be able to do some of the big transactions after they've cleansed that balance sheet. We're hoping to see that after 2014. It didn't happen because the debt market opened up for everybody and maybe this time it'll be different and that could drive bigger transactions. The other uh, area that's sort of a little bit of a wild card, and I'll throw this out there, you guys can laugh at me, but um, would be some uh, mergers with say non-traditional energy companies uh, to really do a rapid transformation. So instead of an organic tra energy transition that's driven by divestiture and investment into kind of renewables or decarbonization technologies, you could see some type of, of real radical transformation through a merger. So, you know, it, 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 it's still left to be seen, but I, I think that there could be something like that in the next five years. I totally agree that we need the consolidation, especially in the services side. And to your point, Deborah, there are some very large suppliers, but there's also a ton of small ones. And in 2014, during that downturn, there was a lot of private equity money that backed up 
companies that really would have washed out in an ordinary cycle. It, it, you know, you watch the drillers, most of them are going through some form of a restructuring right now, and they're all saying that they're all coming back and they'll be stronger than ever. But talk about a segment that's ripe for consolidation. So I hope you're right. I hope that this time we see it because the industry desperately needs it to be able to deliver the returns and to more cost effectively find and extract those natural resources. Thank you both for um, such insightful answers to that. Um, moving on, kind of talking about the first half of 2020, it was riddled with such negative headlines from oil price, the oil price war between Saudi Arabia and Russia to WTI's pledge into the negative territory for the first time ever. Um, I feel like all of you all have answered or expressed that there are still opportunities even in this downturn. Um, are there any bright spots? Maybe if y'all could go into further emerging from the downturn, Katie, uh, maybe take that one. Yeah, I can start. The first half of the year has been difficult uh, for oil and gas producers, oil field services in particular. And it's it's not only because of the geopolitical issues that you mentioned, but that compounded by COVID, which which we've all mentioned through the various discussions. With um, employees working from home, I think there's just a question of the gasoline demand, you know, the fuel demand, what's going to happen with travel. But, you know, over the next five years, what we do anticipate is that the demand is going to grow and it's going to be coupled with upstream investment that's lagged. And so I think there's a tremendous growth opportunity for companies who can sustainably reduce their operating costs, uh, but balancing the flexibility to scale. And so also as the energy sector continues to evolve, and, you know, we talked about the types of transformation that might include uh, partnering outside of the sector traditionally, there are a lot of opportunities for, for companies to invest in the lower carbon energy strategy, setting the stage for their longer term sustainable growth. And, and maybe one, one thing, if you don't mind adding, yeah. I agree with, with what Katie said. I do think one thing that's different, if you look at the past cycle, especially for, for the um, producers, the upstream oil and gas companies, a lot of those independents, um, as we went through a down cycle, you, know, you saw the typical actions, cost takeout, primarily headcount cost takeout, which was very quickly brought back on once you know, oil prices continued to recover. I do think this time is different, um, and I think they realize it. And so sitting back and looking at, you know, looking at their target operating models, looking at how they can be prof profitable through the low cycles, and obviously, as prices go, you know, increase, they're going to, their profit margin will, will continue to grow. But being able to be profitable at those low cycles and not just through headcount reductions, but really looking at transformation of their business and operations in a very different way. I'm seeing that. And I think that's really what it's going to take for the upstream side as they continue to serve the energy needs globally until we, we get to other sources of energy to complement that is going to be really important. So I do think that's to some extent a bright spot to, to look at. Wasn't that long ago, was it not far where we were complaining and saying $100 oil was today's $20 oil, right? And it, we're so schizophrenic as an industry. You know, it's like, even when it's high, we find things to complain about. But I'm really, truly optimistic. I think there are some things that will be positive for us going forward. I mean, this, the fact that we've all learned how to collaborate in this mode and we figured out how to work completely differently, there are many of those changes that are gonna, that are gonna go forward with us. And KPMG, we've done some analyses 
You know, do Americans love to drive? We drive three trillion miles a year. That's 337 times from Earth to Pluto and back. Uh, and we didn't in April, right? It was down 64%. We believe that there will be permanent destruction of about 10% in, in those, just your car driving. That could be offset by commercial vehicle, all the deliveries that are happening. But if that delivery start being used by drones or electric robots, that changes the whole gasoline profile and jet fuel profile uh, completely. So I think it will get better, but it will look quite different. And I think that's one of the exciting things that I'm talking to clients about is, we never thought we would be locked in our houses six months ago, right? So you have to know, you have to ask yourself, I may not think that that's what the future is gonna hold, but I have to say, what if? Because no one would have predicted where we are today. Regina, you make just really some excellent points. Um, you know, what, what, when we think about what we're going through, so you aren't commuting, but now you look at all the driving people have done to uh, go vacation right. and Wyoming or go to the parks or so everybody's driving more. And if you look back statistically, the amount of gasoline consumed by leisure driving during the holidays actually outstrips sort of commuting driving. But notwithstanding that, you know, one, one thing that to think about is we can have peak oil and still have increasing demand for energy. And so, and, and that sounds bad if you're an oil and gas company, you're saying, oh, you still haven't shown me what the bright spot is. But if you know that we're going to have increasing population and they all want energy, you know, there've been a recent study released about still the, the gap for reliable energy, you know, 3 billion people still lack reliable sources of energy, electricity. So that has to come from somewhere. So I think natural gas will continue to be a bit of a bright spot because even though you know, we may have entered the period of peak oil, but peak demand for energy, it, really, we haven't reached that point. And, that, and that's what you kind of look at and say, okay, where can you play? How do you reallocate your assets and, and really get into that growth area for the sector? And these are energy companies. These are not just oil and gas companies. These are energy companies that understand energy systems. And I think there is some, um, there's some upside there for, for everyone. That's definitely good to hear, and thank you all for such excellent, excellent points. Um, with that, I would like to thank you for participating in part one of our discussion with the Big Four. Um, keep an eye out for part two discussion at heartenergy.com.